What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, a new investigation found almost 30 Chicago cops have been on rosters of the far-right anti-government extremist group, the Oath Keepers. And despite calls from the mayor and police chief for a zero-tolerance policy, some of these officers are still on the force. Sun-Times reporter Tom Shuba and WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos led the investigation and are here to break down what they found. It's Monday, October 30th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. I'm very grateful for the multi-part uh, investigative series that you both have been working on called Extremism in the Ranks. So welcome back to the show, Tom and Dan. Thanks for having us, Jacoby. It's a pleasure, always. Let's start at the very beginning. When did we learn that Chicago police officers were involved and had direct connections with the Oath Keepers? I'll start with you, Tom. I think it was in November 2021 when NPR published a report and uh, there had been a leak in the wake of the January 6th uh, attack on the Capitol, um, which obviously was stoked in part by the Oath Keepers. And a group called DDoS Secrets put out a list, a leaked list of membership, about 38,000 people who had signed up at one point or another to become an Oath Keeper. And NPR took this list and they did a story looking at law enforcement officials, including law, law enforcement officials in Chicago. They put out a story. The police department said, we have no tolerance for this, uh, you know, any sort of extremism or hate in our ranks, and we're going to open an investigation. And we picked up this, our months-long investigation, as that was still kind of playing out and then eventually drawing to a close. Yeah. Dan, uh, Tom just mentioned that the Oath Keepers have a direct connection, very much organizing the events we saw take place at the Capitol uh, uh, on that January 6th. But they've been around since, you know, the Obama administration. So can you catch listeners up? Who are the Oath Keepers? Yeah, coincidentally or not, uh, they came into being not long after Barack Obama began his first term as president. And, America's um, first black president, another group pops up, <laughs> sort of anti to that cause. Yeah, and one of, one of many groups uh, that eventually uh, would end up uh, being involved heavily on January 6th to the point where many of their members were charged with very serious crimes and, you know, they participated in an insurrection. And where the Oath Keepers kind of have a special niche in this group of uh, anti-government, extremist, far-right uh, sort of groups is, um, you know, they, they really, as the name suggests, were appealing to those who had taken an oath, military, 
uh, law enforcement, other first responders. Essentially, the Oath Keepers, um, like Dan said, they're an anti-government group. And what they try to frame themselves as kind of a pro-constitution group. And part of what they do or what they've uh, put forth to their members is a list of orders that they should not obey, right? And these things include um, taking people's weapons away, right? Which is a function of being a law enforcement officer that's fairly important. But then you have layered on top of that uh, a lot of conspiratorial bluster, right? They had a website and that was a big part of what members wanted to do. They wanted to have access to their website to read kind of these screeds and man- the manifestos of this leader, Stuart Rhodes, who's been convicted to a lengthy, lengthy prison sentence. And he warned of a one world government. He warned of uh, officials coming to take your guns. One example we used in the story was an individual uh, who was convicted in a 2010 plot to take over a Tennessee courthouse and, and conduct citizens arrests because a grand jury didn't want to indict Obama, you know, for not being the rightful president, right? The, kind of the core claim of the birther conspiracy theory. So we saw this, right? Red flag. Then we see they get in an armed standoff at the Bundy Ranch in Nevada, which, you know, some of the Oath Keepers wound up being arrested in connection with this and prosecuted in, in, in federal court. So, yeah, you have an ideology and then you have that ideology kind of come to life. Yeah, they've been around for, for quite a while. And the data that we got, um, there was the data that Tom mentioned that came out a couple of years ago, but there's also somewhat more detailed data that we um, got with our partner, the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. And that data told us all sorts of things. And we heard from different city, state, national officials that members of white supremacist, far-right organizations won't be tolerated. And yet, as this investigation comes out, Dan, what were the results? How did, once these names come out that, okay, members are in the Chicago police force, well, how did they respond? Time after time, uh, you see... uh, different law enforcement agencies deciding, well, their involvement was a long time ago, um, or saying as CPD did, and as others have said that, we denounce what the Oath Keepers are now, but that's not what it was back then. Well, as Tom just detailed, and as anybody could have Googled back then, um, you know, remember, these are law enforcement officials. They're supposed to be able to investigate things. They just didn't do their homework, apparently, or they knew what they were getting into. But time and mm-hmm. again, they're saying we didn't know what we're getting into. And I think the history shows that, no, they didn't commit uh, an insurrection in 2010 or 2013 or 2014 when some of these cops joined the Oath Keepers and signed up and gave their credit cards to them and, and you know, asked them what they could do to help them. But it was not, you know... A knitting club either back then it wasn't right it's not like they took some some strong turn towards this ideology in the last few years this was always built into uh, the base of what this organization was right conspiracy uh anti-government ideology and a belief that they were reading the constitution in the correct way and other people weren't and the one thing to note is, you know, because we've heard this, right, from members of the group, oh, well, I was a member, I stopped being a member. Um, We heard it from the deputy chief of the Bureau of Internal Affairs who oversaw this troubled CPD investigation that we wrote about. Um, Yeah, this group morphed. It changed into something that it wasn't. But 
What we see in the data, or at least for, in some cases, right, is a continued financial support, dues paying, membership, you know, to 2015, right? Well, that's past the time of that Bundy Ranch standoff, right, where there was a standoff with the federal government. But what does that mean? Does that mean that they were providing material support to an organization who were d- doing activities like that? Well, how do you gauge that as an investigator, internal investigator for a police agency or an inspector general, whoever may look at this, right? That's kind of what the crux of the investigatory issues are. It's like, well, where do we draw the line? And what we've seen time and time again is this person said that they had a limited involvement. It was a long time ago. So it's, it's essentially fine. How many people are we talking? Like, how many members of CPD were on these lists uh, of as as members at one point or another? We counted twenty seven um, current and former nine who are current. I think as we were reporting this over the months, we initially had eleven or twelve who were current. Dan, right? And we had yeah. some, you know, some people go from being current to former it's in the grand scheme of things you know the percentage of people in cpd who join this group current and former that's a small number but i think what we've heard time and time again uh those from communities who are you know typically most impacted by police violence and police misconduct and who have the most frayed relationship with the police department these are the people whose voices have been loudest about having concerns about having even one member of an extremist group in the organization. To those folks, it it, it feels like uh, uh, salt in the wound or something, right? You're all right. honestly. It feels like in some cases, it feels like vindication because for so long, it feels like we're told we're conspiracy theorists to say that uh, the police force harbors extremists, that there, there's a racist agenda that 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 cops in the lineage of police officers is is directly connected to the lineage of uh, sort of anti-blackness and, and, and slave catchers. And, and this, in some ways, kind of feels like See, we were right. You were told us there were no connections, and yet here they are. There were a number of people that used the exact word that you used, vindication. And I'm not talking about just people that, you know, have opinions about this issue and feel vindicated. I'm talking about people that had actual experiences on the streets of Chicago with these officers. These are people who were like, why did this officer act this way toward me. And then we come to them and we're like, by the way, remember that thing that happened to you five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Mm. that guy, that officer that you made that complaint against or that you sued, he was an oath keeper. And you mean, you should see the reaction, you know, I mean, the vindication was one word that the missing piece. One person told us that this kind of, from their point of view, I mean, we can't get in the hearts and the minds of those officers, but to them, suddenly it made sense what they had gone through with those officers. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. 
I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. When you go into these officers' records, Tom, like what what did you find in there? Were there any patterns or or the examples of behavior when you get into uh, their, their policing records? One thing that I started to notice was that so many of these officers were uh, at some point assigned to a unit called the Special Operations Section, which was a you know notoriously corrupt unit that was disbanded essentially uh, amid prosecutions and convictions that members were engaging in like what robberies, mostly of drug dealers, but also allegedly of just Chicago citizens. Um, and so that was one because that's what we were talking about a lot, right? Like how could so many of these cops know? Right. Or like be get involved. Were they passing the word be- between each other, which we saw in the data? Some said they were right. We're recruiting at roll calls. We're going to tell our buddies in blue. So we saw that SOS side and we found and highlighted one specific officer who was investigated, but who retired during the past Oath Keepers investigation. And he had um, very close affiliations with or, you know, was named in multiple uh, uh, mis- misconduct cases he none of his complaints were ever sustained and what we found was that most of them were being actually investigated by sergeants from within the unit um so essentially the, the this corrupt unit was being investigated by itself um and the other kind of network that we found was a handful of these guys were were trainers at the same time and actually they were trainers at the same time that Larry Snelling the new superintendent was at the training academy with them in a different in a separate part of the training academy, but still, you know, they lined up on the, on the attendance sheets with each other. Um, and so we started to dig through each of these cases and what we found and what we wanted to highlight in the story, because we thought it was notable was, uh, a series of jarring, uh, allegations that were race, racist or racial in nature. And one of them involved that officer, um, involved with the SOS who he, was accused of fostering a essentially toxic work environment by making uh, a, an, 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 a series of, of off-color and racist jokes. And the accusation was made by a black officer who he worked alongside. And in one case, this officer allegedly told the black officer while they were at a food court, hey, they even have food for your kind here. And the black it was a barbecue office, place. It was a barbecue place at, 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 at the Water Tower Place, you know, food court. This culture, you know, while he said it was stoked by this one officer we linked to the Oath Keepers, it, it went beyond that. When you talk to some of the officers who were on this list, uh, how did they respond beyond just, oh, I did not know? Yeah, that, that was probably the main response. Tom talked to a couple other uh, CPD officers, but we've gone over the documents and even videos where they're interviewed by internal affairs about this in various jurisdictions. Uh, I'll give you Illinois State Police. 
they uh, they had an officer. They had to pay a two hundred ten thousand dollars settlement after an officer who had joined the Oath Keepers uh, went and uh, wrongfully detained a young man, an eighteen year old high school football and track star. They ended up settling after some off color text messages surfaced in the course of discovery in that case, text messages from that officer. And after all that, you know, they didn't uh, find any reason, they said, to discipline him for his actions in that case. And later on, they find out that he's an Oath Keeper. And all they do is say, hey, uh, can you send us a memo explaining this? And he says, well, it was a long time ago. It was in 2009. And, uh, you know, they sent me some stickers and things like that, and which I don't have anymore. I don't have any of the proof anymore, but I don't have anything to do with them for a long time. And they say, cool, cool. He's still a, a state trooper. He's out there. They say he's helped them solve homicides, that he helped a woman who was overdosing from fentanyl, and uh, that he's, you know, basically a, a decorated officer. It's, it is, I think it's, we should note that some of these officers are, you know, have been uh, co- uh, combat veterans overseas. These aren't just one-dimensional people, right? They, 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 they have been men of service. Um, but, and, and when I talked to some of them, they, they did say, oh yeah, well, I joined, I didn't go to meetings. Um, I didn't, wasn't involved. Someone encouraged that I sign up. Uh, I didn't pay dues. So we got a, a range of, of explanations from a mm-hmm. handful of these officers, um, and they, they they all downplayed their involvement, and uh, and many of them really came out strongly and criticized the Oath Keepers' actions on January six, and and did not want to be associated with that seemingly in any way. I think one of the wildest parts of reading your investigation is learning that the city is trying to create a policy that bars people from openly joining hate groups. Tom, you you just did a piece that says this isn't new, right? The 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 department has had to investigate members who were members of the Ku Klux Klan 60, 70 years ago. Why isn't there all that just feels like a, you know, you work for the city of Chicago. You probably shouldn't join a group invested in hating people who, you know, who live in the city. How have we gotten this, to this point and in, in this, there is no clear-cut policy here? What we have in the past was the KKK, and uh, uh, three guys quit when uh, uh, what they call a KKK clavern, basically a Klan cell, was discovered within CPD. Three others were fired by the police board. Uh, they you know, went through a very stringent investigation they they snuffed them out they had an undercover agent they had a, a lot of info they did a raid um and they used department rules that are still in existence to you know bring them down um fast forward to the first oath keepers investigation that we write about in part two of our story the police department essentially said being a member of a group alone doesn't like violate any of our rules which the inspector general, Deborah Whitsburg, said, that's not true. The, there, there, there are rules on the books you can go after these guys with. They're very clear. You can't discredit the department. You can't undermine the department's goals. And those are broad, broad rules, and they're meant written like that for a reason. So as this has played out, essentially, the police department went and they said, we're going to update our criminal organization's 
policy, which bars officers from being members of criminal organizations, like street gangs, most commonly. And they want to add biased groups and groups that are essentially hate and extremist groups. And to do so now, they have to work in lockstep with the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. So that's a next step uh, issue. And we're expecting at next month meeting that they will vote on that policy. The commission will. It sounds like the department has gotten uh, more laxed over time uh, and and took more took seriously the terrorist organization that was the KKK. The mayor, Alders, the inspector general, even Chief Larry Snellen, they've all said that Chicago should get extremist cops, uh, cops who are linked to white supremacist organizations off the force. But uh, I'm not seeing a part in your investigation where a lot of heads are rolling. A lot of people are getting fired. What's keeping that from happening? Well, the the Byzantine, um, you know, disciplinary system that we wrote quite a bit about in these articles, right? Now that a new investigation has been opened, that means that the process essentially starts over again. We're essentially in Groundhog Day from what happened with the first investigation. So a a log number is generated, uh, an investigator is assigned, that person begins to conduct interviews and try to do fact-finding. Then they will write a report, that report will be approved. Dan, how did the department respond to your investigation? Yeah, you know, um, I went over to 35th and Michigan to CPD headquarters, went to Larry Snelling's office. And, you know, he said uh, uh, that that exactly what the mayor said. Let's not forget that was the mayor's explicit platform. We will terminate all officers who are in the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys. Those are the two groups he named, both involved in January 6th, both with at least uh, some presence in the Chicago police uh, recently or, you know, in some cases, a few years back. Snelling says he's on the same page. He then goes to the city council when it's a budget hearing and, um, you know, focuses on this in his opening comments extensively, saying that they won't tolerate it, that the, that it's the last thing that the department needs when they're trying to repair the relationship. And you have these aldermen saying, you know, we're trying to rebuild trust here. And, and I hope that, you know, we're glad to hear that you say you're going to do that. But again, you know, we've shown how there was a tolerance for this. So, you know, uh, there hasn't been much action to back up those words. I, we hear this word a lot, trust, right? Trust, you know. We, we investigate decades of torture and it's trust that will do better. We, you know, investigate police killings and it's trust that will do better. And the consent decree, we, we, oh, we're still falling behind on those reforms, but trust we will do better. And now this feels like the lowest, one of the lowest of hanging fruits, getting rid of cops with ties or who are members to far right white supremacist organizations. And yet again, we're hearing trust that we will do better. How do we move forward from here? What do you think the, the department has to do here? The stance they have to take, you know, to, to I mean, I, I feel like the 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 the, the trust spout, it, it's it's far run out. Well, I th- Larry Snelling, right, has kind of made building trust his mandate. That's what he keeps saying, right? That that this is the the core of what he's hoping to accomplish is, is building this trust back up. Um in, in these cases, it's been so baffling how, and not just this Oath Keepers case, right? We're talking about the case with the Proud Boy, Robert Bacher, and then there's another ongoing case involving a three percenter. But 
you know, uh, how they've been resolved and then how they've been explained publicly by high-ranking officials. Um, and so uh, to answer your question, transparency will likely bring trust, right? I think others would say you have to have an outside investigation that they don't trust the police to police themselves. I think um, in this case specifically of extremism influence in the uh, CPD ranks and the one outside investigation that even the civilian-led panel uh, voted to encourage and which apparently that is is happening uh, is by the Inspector General, Deborah Witzberg's office. You know, we've had a series of inspectors general that I think um, a lot of people will debate this, but that I think have had credibility and independence with a large uh, part of the public. Um, at least uh, they've been able to, to delve into some big issues and bring out the facts and get to the bottom of things. We can't force anybody to talk to us as reporters, obviously. The inspector general does have the power to say, either you talk to me or, you know, you'll lose your job. And if you're not truthful, you can also lose your job for being untruthful in those investigations and in those interviews. She also has a very good understanding of the history of the Oath Keepers. Uh, when uh, Tracy Walker, the the number two in the BIA, made that statement to city council about the fact that the group had morphed, you know, after a CPD member had left the group, Wittsburg contested that strongly and brought up some of this, you know, criminal background of the group, which she had <laughs> teed up and ready to go. So she has a much different view of, the Oath Keepers and likely involvement in the Oath Keepers than the BIA has. And that comp- that changes the frame of the investigation immediately, or it would. To read through the entire investigation series, please check our show notes. I want to give a huge thank you to WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos and the Sun-Times, Tom Shuba. I appreciate y'all not only for y'all work, but making time to talk with us here on CityCast. Uh, we appreciate the the interest and the questions. Yeah, Jacoby, huge fan, and and always happy to come on and chat with you. Before I let you go, we could see the first snow of the season this week. We're frozen temperatures forecasted for tonight and tomorrow. I know, I know, I don't want to get there either. But if you got some winter clothes you could donate, now is the time to do it. We got a list of where you can give at chicago.citycast.fm. That's also where you can subscribe to our Hey Chicago newsletter and catch up on old podcast episodes you missed. Of course, I'm going to leave you with some good news. If you're still looking for something to do on Halloween, I got you. During the day tomorrow, the DuSable Museum in Washington Park will become Do Haunted, an event for young people complete with laser tag, Xbox, VR, and a bounce house. Then later that evening, you can enjoy the annual Haunted Halston Halloween Parade in Lakeview. Throw on your best costume, and you could walk away with some of the cash prizes. For information on both events, check our show notes. And remember, nominate City Cash Chicago as best podcast and Hey Chicago is best email newsletter and Chicago Reader's best of 2023 list. You can check the link in the show notes for more details. Make sure you come back tomorrow when I'm helping feed the vampires of Chicago for Halloween. Nah, I'm just playing. But I am donating blood and learning more about blood shortages in the city. I'll talk to you then. Peace. One take. Jacoby. That's my name. 
Sorry, Spencer.